On today's Spotlight on KRWC, it is our fourth Thursday of the month. We kind of reserve time on the fourth Thursday to chat with uh, various folks from Wright Soil and Water Conservation Districts. And to my knowledge, uh, first-time guest on Spotlight today, Andrew Grion joins us. He's a wetland specialist with the Wright Soil and Water. And Andrew, welcome. Thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. We are kind of in a series of programs here on the fourth Thursday, once a month, uh, going through various different uh, avenues and departments and various different uh, specialties within uh, Wright Soil and Water. And uh, as a wetland specialist, uh, talk a little bit about your role and maybe how long you've been with the uh, Wright Soil and Water. Yeah, so, um, yeah, my title is the Wetland Resource Conservationist, but Wetland Specialist for short. Um, I've been working for the Wright SWCD since 2013, um, and my primary responsibility is, is administering a state wetland law, the state uh, Minnesota State uh, Wetland Conservation Act. So that's my primary role there. And what's all entailed with that? If you can boil it down, I'm sure that's quite a... Uh, quite an over overreaching uh, uh, different uh, department there, or the the actual uh, soil and water <laughs> department has uh, got a lot to do with that. And maybe you can boil it down to just a, a sentence or two. Oh, how to simplify it? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, so a law was passed in 1991. That's the Minnesota Wetland Conservation Act. Um, in general, the law has a goal of achieving no net loss in wetlands. And if wetlands are lost, they need to be replaced. And so, in essence, that's what I'm administering that law locally. So it's a state law, um, but it's administered on the local level. So every county, city, every part throughout the state of Minnesota has someone like me that would be administering this law. So people that are doing work in in wetland areas um, sometimes have to go through a certain permit process, and so I'd be the contact person for that, and anything else wetland-related in general. Folks that grew up in Minnesota and this area or just about any part of the state, uh, I'm sure probably have at least a little bit of an idea what a wetland is. I think we grew up uh, noting areas, uh, especially if you were in the country, where, hey, there's a little uh, plot of cattails right there in the middle of everything. Uh, I would imagine that qualifies as a wetland, but maybe you can tell us what a wetland really is. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, cattail marshes with, with ducks and, and some standing water certainly are a wetland, and that's, you know, just one type of wetland. Well, one of the misconceptions is is that you know you have to have cattails and standing water and, and ducks to be a wetland. But uh, there are many different types. Um, technically, you know, we're looking at three parameters to define if an area is a wetland or not. So if it has wetland soils, um, soils that are saturated or have standing water, they have different characteristics. So we'd be looking at what the soil looks like. It's a wetland soil. Is there water or evidence of past flooding? So is there standing water or saturated soil? So that water component needs to be there. And then the wetland plants as well. So the vegetation. Um, you know, cattails, for example, they're you know, adapted to growing in wet conditions, but there's many other types of plants and trees and shrubs that are kind of specific to wetland areas. 
So, um, yeah, definitely a diversity. Some have standing water most of the year. Others, um, you'll never see standing water. They might only be wet for a couple, you know, just a couple of weeks in the spring. Uh, maybe just some saturated soil, but that could be enough to technically be a wetland. Yeah. And these are naturally occurring areas? I mean, they've been in this state since, you know, I mean, who knows, since the glaciers went through, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. And Minnesota, you know, obviously has a lot of water resources and and soil types that can pond water and, and kind of keep that water, you know, standing long enough to develop some of those characteristics. So, yeah, absolutely. Minnesota has um, has has a lot of wetlands, but also a lot have been have been lost as well. Um, you know, Wright County, for example, has less than 50 percent of its historic wetland areas remaining. And, you know, for some of those reasons and, and, and some of the other values of wetlands on a whole, you know, kind of sparked uh, the, the reasoning for these laws being enacted to protect these areas. All right. Wetlands regulations, I'm sure, is what you're talking about. And, and you know, as you say, back a number of decades, and I'm not sure how far back the very first uh, uh, foresight into this was where they, where people realized that, you know, uh, we better try to preserve some of this or development's going to uh, kind of forever change. Well, I, I suppose to some degree it already has forever changed uh, some of these areas, but now laws are in place to at least try to, um, as you say, you know, get other wetlands developed in different areas if you're going to disturb an existing one. Yeah, no doubt. I should have all the dates, but, you know, there are many different laws. You know, this one that I'm dealing with is specific to Minnesota. Um, the Minnesota DNR also has some specific rules for, for different air, different types of wetlands. And then there's the Army Corps of Engineers and the Clean Water Act. They're, they got a hand on wetlands. And then within the farm program as well for farmers, there's different rules that were enacted in, you know, the mid-80s protecting wetlands. So there's a whole, there's many different uh, entities that are, you know, have a have a handle on these wetlands. So it can be can be frustrating, but that's another part of my job is to try and navigate and, and clarify um, what rules, you know, need to be followed or if a project is occurring, just making sure that everyone's on the same page. Talk a little bit, if you would, Andrew, and we're talking with uh, Andrew Grion, who's a, a wetland specialist with Wright Soil and Water Conservation District here on our spotlight today. Talk a little bit about uh, the scope of this, because it could be, you know, maybe something as simple as, uh, you know, within a particular property, a privately owned little piece, somebody wants to do something. You know, they want to build a, uh, an outbuilding or what have you, uh, you know, something of that nature. But all the way up to, uh, you know, maybe a, a rural property development of some type where they want to build, you know, multiple homes, et cetera. Is that kind of the whole scope of it? Well, certainly that those are common. Those are common projects that that you know may result in wetland impacts or, or require you know review. So residential development. Um, you know, Wright County is kind of interesting. It's it's kind of in this transitional zone, you know, thinking along the I-94 corridor, some of the cities, St. Michael, Otsego, Albertville, you know, there's some large-scale you know, housing developments, and there are wetlands. So, you know, those need to be taken into account. You know, is a road going to be put through the wetland? Um, you know, then you go further west, and, yeah, larger lots, 
Um, and so, you know, maybe it's, you know, a 40 acre lot, but we're still trying to, you know, get this driveway put, you know, in between some wetland areas or to access some buildable area. Um, you know, so there's that, um, you know, agriculture, a lot of agriculture in the county, you know, so there are, you know, wetlands in, you know, farm fields. And so there's some different provisions in the rule, some additional flexibility for wetlands that maybe have been tiled or have some a drainage ditch in them. Um, you know, there's a lot of lakes too, you know, up in the Annandale area. So some of these lakes have these wetland fringes. And so looking at shoreline development and potential impacts. So, you know, there's really a, a wide range of, of projects and, 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 you know, that require some amount of wetland review at times. And our conversation today comes kind of at an interesting time because this, uh, particularly for this time of the year, is probably about the driest we've been in a long time. But it kind of gives you insight as to, um, you know, how these uh, areas that are wetlands can vary because I would imagine a lot of them right now that are kind of marginal wetlands might be dry as a bone now. But uh, you want to try to to prevent any possible problems uh, for anybody that's, you know, as you say, putting a driveway or a, a building or what, whatever the case might be. Uh, it might be dry now, but not forever necessarily. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You would think, you know, some of these areas, you know, especially that maybe don't have much water to begin with, you know, they're bone dry. Um, you certainly wouldn't look, you know, from a distance or even up close and say that, you know, this area can't be a wetland, but, you know, it, it's a part of the cycle, you know, and, and, and there's going to be, you know, droughts that are naturally occurring. And, you know, we also went through many wet years, you know, where the water levels were higher than usual. So it all kind of averages out. Um, but, you know, in general, you know, any area that, you know, has a history of ponding water, any kind of a depressional area where you get some amount of standing water, you know, those are the areas to just kind of keep an eye on. And I always advise people, you know, if you're, if you've got any questions, just, you know, just give me a call. You know, I'm quick to be able to, you know, uh, go out and meet with, with someone on site and take a look at it. We have historic aerial photos and all sorts of data that we can take a look at and, and figure out if we even have to worry about a, any wetland regulations in the first place. Yeah, and people want to be, you know, really careful right off the bat on it because uh, the last thing that you want is to uh, to start into something and then realize that, oh boy, there's uh, wetlands issues here. Talk a little bit about, if you will, um, Andrew, about uh, wetlands um, mitigation, I think I've heard it called, or replacement, um, the whole notion that, okay, we're going to disturb one area, but you're going to create uh, a new wetland area, and I don't know how you go about deciding where that happens and how that happens. Yeah, yeah, so no doubt. So sometimes, you know, there's projects where there's no doubt about it, you know, we're going to be filling in or, or draining or there's going to be some wetland lost. You know, the first part of that of that process is evaluating the project up front to say, hey, is there a way that we can still achieve your goal, get your project completed, and not impact the wetland in the first place? That's the whole first step. You know, I sometimes describe it almost like a, like a variance request. So it's a very active discussion, you know, with, with the applicant to say, oh, can we do it in a different way? And you know, are there any other alternatives that exist. If, if, there, if there aren't, you know, there are many different restrictions that can, you know, drive a certain project that 
you know, we have to actually impact this wetland. Once we get to that point and that's been established, yes, then that wetland area needs to be replaced. Historically, even before I started working, it was very common that people would actually create their own wetland. So they go dig a hole maybe on their property or somewhere nearby, and try and plant some plant some wetland plants and kind of cross your fingers and hope it turns out to be a wetland. Um, in general, there was not a lot of success in, in accomplishing those. You know, they wouldn't turn out. They wouldn't have water like they thought. And so we'd end up with, you know, really not much of a you know, wetland replacement. So it has kind of shifted to more um, wetland banking. So the purchase of these wetland credits. So someone else in the county or in the area, we think about, you know, some of these areas more in terms of watersheds has actually established a wetland bank. So there is a whole process to develop and restore a wetland area elsewhere, and that can be used to offset impacts that occur, you know, relatively nearby. So for the individual doing the project and impacting the wetland, you know, it, it boils down to essentially cutting a check to pay for these wetland credits. So... And so that would be used uh, against any, you know, any wetland uh, disruption that would be a part of any given project. Exactly. Yeah, that that, whole, that goes back to the general scope of the law saying, well, in general, we're trying to have no net loss in wetlands. So as long as we know that it's being made up for somewhere else, um, that, I guess, would be, you know, you know, we're it, we're mitigating that loss. It's not perfect, but it's but it's better than nothing. I mm-hmm. guess would be the thought process. And when um, when that kind of a process happens, Andrew, when you have a project that's going to go through, okay, we're going to um, use a a credit toward uh, a wetland uh, in a different area. Does is there some sort of designation that okay, this chunk over here is now uh, in lieu of this chunk over here that's been disrupted, and then does that new piece is that off limits now for any other development of any kind? Is that like okay, that's permanent there now? Yeah, exactly. So, like thinking about these wetland banks that are you know established for for mitigation, they are they are they are created and and they are seeded with the you know the native plants, and they're monitored for a period, for a number of years, and you know. They are, uh, there's an easement recorded on these wetland banks that, you know, will protect them in, in perpetuity. So they are very much hands-off in, in terms of, you know, ever kind of developing or removing those wetlands that were used to offset wetlands that were lost. Talk a little bit about the funding process on how to do that. I'm sure, depending on the scope of the project, that can be a pretty costly thing. Yeah, no doubt. Wetland credits are are expensive. Um, just a bulk, you know, the the whole wetland banking process is set up in kind of a free market system. So the more wetland banks that are out there, the the cheaper that cost would be um, when, for purchasing them. Um, but you know, in general, um, you know, the value of a of a wetland credit, think about it in terms of like square feet, would be around dollar fifty to two dollars a square feet kind of in, the, in this area. So it can become costly very quickly. So that, that I think, drives that avoidance. You know, let's try and avoid the wetland. Um, just, you know, it, 
you know, at the end of the day, it's expensive, you know, to, to, to fill these areas in or, you know, or impact them. Yeah, if you're talking about uh, that kind of cost per square foot and you, you know, you're going to disturb, you know, two acres or uh, an acre of, of wetland, that gets to be some money. No doubt, no doubt. It, it is expensive. And on the flip side for, you know, individuals that maybe have land that could be restored, um, you know, uh, marginal farmland is a common one where these wetland banks are established. So maybe some tile is disabled or ditches, you know, plugged and that area is restored. The water comes back, um, you know, the, the individuals establishing the wetland banks are, you know, receiving those funds for those transactions. So it is a costly endeavor to establish a wetland bank, but it can be lucrative on the back end if, you know, if everything goes, you know, to plan. Maybe touch on for the listeners just a little bit of, of some of the benefits of um, restoring a wetland or, or the necessity for that as far as, um, you know, air quality, water quality, um, wildlife, all of those aspects. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, wetlands do have, you know, many values. Um, you know, water quality, for example, you know, they hold nutrients and they'll process those nutrients and keep them from flowing uh, downstream and getting into our streams and lakes and the rivers. So there's that, uh, you know, flood control, um, you know, the more you know, they store water. And so they'll mitigate the effects of, of, of flooding, you know, when it's raining a lot. Um, it recharge groundwater. Um, you know, and there's obviously the fish and the, and the wildlife component as well. I like, I like duck hunting. And so therefore, you know, that's a direct connection to wetlands. You know, they are certainly an important aspect for the life cycle of, you know, waterfowl, and plenty of other animals as well. Um, and believe it or not, some people just like recreating, you know, in wetland areas, you know, they just appreciate, appreciate the diversity, the different types of plants you know, the aesthetics, and then, you know, there's some commercial benefits as well, you know, wild rice, for example. So there's, you know, many these kind of societal, you know, benefits of wetland areas. And, and again, that kind of spurred that interest in, in, in trying to protect them in the first place. It's kind of interesting, you know, when you uh, take a drive around, you, you don't have to travel very far, even from a metropolitan area like our Twin Cities or even around here in Wright County where, uh, more and more cities are are getting larger, and obviously there's more population and things like that. But uh, you don't have to travel too far, and you can see kind of uh, areas that are pretty much undisturbed from their natural state from you know centuries and centuries ago. Yeah, no doubt there are areas. Back when I was uh, you know back when I was an intern, I worked for the Pollution Control Agency for a time, and we were doing some you know inventories of wetlands throughout the state, trying to get a gauge on their on their condition. And it took me to some pretty amazing places. I remember I was north of Red Lake, uh, you know, the peat bogs up there, and and it was it was amazing, you know, just the the, the diversity and 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 you know there are many many areas you know in the state that are totally un, undisturbed. So, you know, there certainly is a, you know, a lot of you know, really cool, you know, wetlands that are left. One more question before we leave that particular topic about the, um, you know, the wetland banking and things like that, the, uh, you know, replacement of a wetland if you're going to disturb one. I think you maybe touched on it a little bit. Is there a certain proximity that it has to be within or, you know, can you 
you know, does a does it give credit for a wetland that might be, you know, way up north or something, or does it have to be within a certain amount of miles? Yeah, so for the most part, it's got to stay within, you know, we're primarily working within a, a major watershed. So like the North Fork, Crow River, you know, major watershed, you know, kind of goes through multiple counties, but we are trying to think about it as close as possible to where that wetland is lost. So, you know, there are enough wetland banks out there that are kind of scattered throughout these watersheds or within the county that we're looking at those first. If for some reason there just weren't any wetland banks available or all of those credits have been sold and there's no more to be had, then, you know, we can look further away. But yeah, um, just in general, you can't, you know, fill a wetland in Wright County and then look for, you know, a wetland that was restored up by Ely you know, to offset that impact. It's got to stay kind of within within the, uh, you know, within the area. Right, because I, I would imagine the, the reason being that, you know, although it would be a benefit to that area, you know, just if it is Ely or wherever in northern Minnesota, the benefit would be there for that. But it doesn't really, it doesn't help anything here to, to continue to be, uh, you know, at least apples for apples, I guess. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, that wouldn't be a very good system to just kind of consolidate all the wetlands to one corner of the state. So it, it is set up in a way that we, again, it's not perfect. You know, when you're talking about mitigation, you're kind of making the best of, you know, the situation. And and so it may not be right there in that immediate area. So there certainly is still a tangible loss, you know, to that immediate area. But we try and keep it as close as possible. So that's one of the things that we're looking at from a regulatory standpoint to try and make sure that they land as close as possible. Andrew Greon is a wetland specialist with Wright Soil and Water Conservation District. Uh, before we go, uh, Andrew, tell us about anything else uh, uh, that's also on your clipboard here for Wright County. What do you do? What other kind of things do you do? Yeah, so yeah, we have, you know, we have a small office, so I you know, can wear multiple hats. So, you know, definitely the bulk of my time is spent, you know, dealing with wetlands, but you also get opportunities to work on some other projects. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, water quality is, and, you know, is always at the forefront um, for, for our office. So any kind of projects that we can, you know, help fund and implement design, um, you know, to prevent erosion, uh, you know, increase, enhance water quality, you know, we're always looking at that. So, you know, I've worked, you know, on different, uh, you know, grant applications to try and get more funding in the county um, for, you know, various projects, uh, done, you know, one more recently was agricultural stormwater pond, essentially. Um, so we've worked with some of the county ditch systems to try and, you know, and, and enhance their function and prevent some of that erosion. And but, you know, always looking for opportunities for projects. Um, also dabble with, uh, with cover crops, you know, working with some of the farmers, you know, and just trying to think outside the box, you know, are there any ways, um, you know, to, again, try and build up that soil health, um, you know, cover the soil, prevent some of the erosion, and, and you know, we have some funding sources to try and help. So it's, it's kind of fun to dabble with some other projects as well. Are people, generally speaking, referred to you, Andrew, or uh, do they come to you directly if they've got questions, or is it a combination of the two? Yeah, you know, some people would just, just give me a call, you know, they say, well, you know, hey, I think I have a wetland and I want to do X, Y, Z. Well, you know, what do you think? You know, sometimes it's driven by people that are working with planning and zoning, you know, on, on their, on their, on their, you know, proposed building site, you know, in a driveway. So planning and zoning will refer individuals over to me to make sure that we cover the wetland side of things, um, you know, and then, 
You know, I'm, there are plenty of citizens that are, you know, calling me with concerns. Hey, this wetland is being, you know, might it looks like it's being filled in or drained. You know, is that okay? So, you know, it kind of run, runs the gamut. All right. And lastly, where do people contact you if they have questions or, you know, if they want to learn more about any particular project or uh, anything that might be upcoming? Uh, do they uh, contact you and how? Yeah, yeah, I'd say my my direct number at the office is 763-614-2918. That's a good way. Um, my email is andrew.grean, G-R-E-A-N, at usda.gov. Send me an email. We also have a website, um, writeswcd.org. It's got um, a little wetland page with some information, but... Again, yeah, I always encourage people to just, you know, give me a call or shoot me an email and, and um, you know, we're quick to turn around and respond and even go out and meet with you on your property if, you know, if needed. So. I always try to learn uh, something new every day, and you've uh, clicked that box off for me here today. So uh, we hopefully a lot of pe- people learned uh, a little bit more about wetlands and and their role and and how to uh, to coexist peacefully with them here. Yeah, yeah, it can be a challenge at times. But, yeah, I, I appreciate the time, and we'll, we'll see if I get any calls or emails. <laughs> Sounds great. We'll talk to you again maybe one of these days. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Andrew Grion, wetland specialist with the Right Soil and Water Conservation District. We've had uh, some really interesting chats on these fourth Thursdays of the month about uh, some topics that, you know, maybe don't necessarily come up at the dinner table real often, but uh, when you do get into them, you find out... Uh, a whole lot about some things that are happening and what needs to happen to try to not only preserve um, areas that we have that uh, have uh, great value as far as, uh, in this case, being wetlands and, and how to keep on to those and, and still maintain a balance between growth and uh, development and things like that. So interesting topic today. We hope you enjoyed our spotlight here on KRWC.